Welcome to Prestigious Minds, where we talk about inventors, businessmen, and entrepreneurs and how they influenced the world around us today. I'm your host, Jeremiah, and I'm joined with my co-host, Rob, and we are talking about Rockefeller, episode four, the final episode in this series, and we deviate from Rockefeller's business dealings in Standard Oil and talk more about his philanthropy and his interest in growing education and medical research among society. First, I would like to thank you for listening during your commute, no matter what time of day you may be traveling. If you enjoy learning more about history as it relates to business and engineering and ingenuity, you can sign up for updates regarding prestigious minds on our website. The link will be provided in the show notes below. Also, we would very much appreciate it if you would give us a five-star review as it helps us rank higher in the podcast libraries. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this month's episode of Rockefeller Part 4, Philanthropy and Life After Business. Welcome back to Prestigious Minds. On this episode, we're going to continue our discussion of Rockefeller and his life after Standard Oil. Now, Jeremiah, can you give us a little insight on how he he dealt with the breakup of Standard Oil? Yes, and I would say this started before the breakup of Standard Oil and only progressed more after the antitrust suit was settled, which gave him more free time to focus on his philanthropic works. In the late 1800s, 1881 to be specific, you saw the first major college slash university, which is today Spelman College out of Atlanta, which originally started as a black women's missionary uh, missionary college. So can you explain, so what kind of uh, college was it? Was it uh, to further their education or to gain an education? Because I know in the... Uh, previously, in, when universities would start for different demographics, they would have they would they would teach you stuff that you would not necessarily have learned in your um, adolescence. So the main purpose of founding this college was to give freed African American women a way to learn how to read and write mathematics as well as useful skills outside of reading and writing, such as sewing and <clears throat> like maintenance of various types of household equipment type things. I don't know really what they had in the 1880s, but if you, general skills that would help you live and also get an industrialized job. So if you were to work in a textile plant, for instance, and you were someone who sewed, you could... You could work a sewing an industrial sewing machine and learn how to maybe maintain that along with having uh, at least a basic understanding of arithmetic um, and uh, competent reading and writing skills so they were trying to get african-american women uh, freed african-american women um, the ability to make a living and have a, a life for themselves so yeah so, th- this was the first major institution that Rockefeller and his wife helped found. Now, fast forward to around the early 1900s, you have prominence in the form of the University of Chicago, which Rockefeller helped 
refound in 1891. There was a an old University of Chicago which was struggling, and a person that Rockefeller hired to help him with his philanthropic endeavors, named Frederick Gates, helped him organize and pro- and procure his resources to bolster the new University of Chicago that we know today. So he started two universities or two colleges in his philanthropic endeavors. What else would you say he invested in as as far as giving back to the community? So early on, we see him investing in education as well as organizing his philanthropic events with the Rockefeller Foundation and the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research, which is modern-day Rockefeller University. So not only was he in, interested in helping out the public as far as uh, colleges and universities were concerned, he was also interested in the medical innovations of the, uh, of the time, right? Yes. So, like I said, he founded the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research after one of his grandchildren died of malaria, I believe. And this was in 1901. Later on, this institute ended up developing a way to eradicate hookworm, which was considered, actually eradicated, in 1925, solely credit given to Rockefeller money. So his his investments in the medical uh, field actually eradicated a, a parasite or the um, issues of parasites, right? Yes. And this was obviously prominent because you're looking at a large-scale eradication of a disease. But not only that, this was the first time that the U.S. had contributed to world health before this, a lot of medical research and like um, medicine was coming out of England and in France. The more prominent powers at the time. Yes. So this is really the first major medical research institute established in America that could develop modern day um, medicine and cures for diseases at the time. So this is important because if you look at histories of different country countries and different regimes, you'll see that their innovation in certain fields lead to their prominence on the world stage, such as medicine, their um, preparation of food, and the like. So the if you you've never really had a a person of uh, in the public eye inv- like create or invest in the medical innovations of the time like this, have you? Not until Rockefeller did it. And this wasn't because you didn't have other prominent, wealthy people investing in like-minded endeavors. It was just the fact that Rockefeller donated so much money to establish this institute to really drive this innovation in medical research on a large scale because the government did not have the money or power to even remotely compete with this. This was a private institution that 
solely sought for medical innovation and research. We saw, so we just mentioned the eradication of hookworm. It was actually a very prominent problem in the South due to um, poor, poor sanitation conditions and also the hot, humid weather that the Southeast United States suffers from. And so because of this, Rockefeller took the research from the Rockefeller Institute and created the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission from 1909 to 1915, which was solely, uh, its sole responsibility was to go to those south southern states to treat the general public for hookworm infections. And if you'll remember, kind of like before the Civil War, you had almost two classes of people in the South. You had the really prominent, wealthy individual that owned a lot of property and, unfortunately, slavery, you know, slaves. And then after the Civil War, you had a lot of poverty in the South. So, and not not to mention, it's a very uh, temperate climate where we, we do have more, you know, hotter weather especially in the southeast. So those kind of conditions really will will foster uh, infections such as hookworm. So that's why it was so important because a lot of people had hookworm at the time. Yeah. Relative, lot- relative to the population. Yeah, so as part of the program, more than 25,000 public meetings were attended by more than 2 million people which were educated about hookworm and its prevention. A lot of people in the South, and I would say even today, walk around barefoot, which is one of the primary ways to catch hookworm. So, on top of the educational and medical um, investments that Rockefeller made, I'm kind of like, what was his motivation for this was it self-serving or was it more like you if we if we go back to probably the first episode was it more his upbringing that brought about these um these um charity charitable charitable donations or his investments in this this was the large-scale version of his discipline in giving from when he was younger in his early days like we mentioned before, he hired Frederick T. Gates to head his overall philanthropic events and to properly investigate and distribute this money to responsible organizations. This was a fundamental belief of Rockefeller that he had to figure out a way to give away his money. And because he was making so much money so quickly, this created a problem for Rockefeller where he couldn't just write off checks to individuals or individual organizations anymore. He needed someone to head up an actual institution to give through, which is where the Rockefeller Foundation came from. It was also one of the first examples of a major nonprofit in the U.S. I wouldn't say that it was the first, but it was one of the ones that actually solely funded by Rockefeller to distribute that wealth among general society to support not just Americans, but people all around the world, like we said, in education and in medical research and innovation. 
So he wanted to give away a lot of his money, but the motivation behind that would be, or you you could draw conclusions from his uh, early childhood and especially his mother, who was very um, religious, especially in the Protestant Christian um, terms. So he believed in giving, and like if he made money, it was considered a gift. So he wanted to give, especially to people who were underserved especially in the com- in communities that were underserved. Yeah, he saw it as almost his duty to give away the wealth that he had accumulated responsibly. So, like I said earlier, he originally started by writing personal checks, more or less, and realized that this wasn't going to give away the vast sum of wealth in a strategic manner. He wanted a better way to shift through the people that would contact him or his organization asking for aid or help in certain areas because you got to think if you hear about some rich billionaire giving away money to anyone who asks you're going to have a bunch of people who are frauds who really don't need that money that just want it they're greedy whatever and so this was a way for Rockefeller to systematically give away large sums of money to things and causes that he truly thought would help and better society as a whole. So, in in essence, you need an organization who can vet different areas that need serving. Especially if if you make a lot of money and you're going to give away a lot of money, you don't want to have that squandered by giving it to people who uh, might be uh, trying to steal from you or maybe inflate their own issues. So, you need someone smart, an institution that's smart, that can uh, divvy up the money that you've worked really hard to make and you want to give it in a, in a, in a good, uh, more forward thinking way. Exactly. And so what we end up seeing is the founding of many universities, the supporting of many other universities, the medical research, the educational expansion among private institutions and organizations. Unlike someone else that we, hint, hint, maybe end up talking about in the future, Andrew Carnegie, which gave away basically all of his wealth before his death, Rockefeller wanted to make sure that he left over some for his children, so he definitely had endowments for all of his children that were alive. So they, when he died, they still had millions of dollars, as well as the larger portion of his money, which he left to his his, uh, son, John D. Jr., which really took up the philanthropic works and spearheaded more through the Rockefeller Foundation. He was the one that actually built uh, the Rockefeller Center in New York. So this was something he also ingrained in his own children, especially his son and his wife said he also had a large part to do with that. So he really lived up to the whole mantra of earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. He saved plenty for his family to the point to where Rockefeller is still a prominent family today. They're still very wealthy. And I think that that was something that senior Rockefeller really instilled in his own children so that they may understand not just, quote-unquote, the value of a dollar, but really understand that you need to not just invest the money to continue proliferating money, but also invest your time properly in business dealings as well as helping others in giving. 
I wanted to take a short break to thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds, and to also remind you that we are on Twitter at PMindsPod, where we share fascinating facts related to the podcast. This will be where the trivia question of the month will also be posted. Now, back to the show. So let's have a takeaway from this, because we're wrapping up episode four and the Rockefeller series. I want to um, kind of have a discussion on his early life and, you know, how he how he was brought up. And this is going to be kind of a different um, discussion. But if you look at his early life, he kind of had a little bit of adversity, like many people today. He had a, a mother who loved him and who was very religious and a father who was... Um, he was there, but he had some different ideas about how he wanted to to succeed. You know, he was more of a con man than he was a outstanding businessman. And fortunately, Rockefeller got his, his morality from his mother and the sense of he was going to try to invest in his future and hopefully invest in serving the community. Yeah, and then you could say that he got his rough-and-tumble, hard business sense from his father who taught him not to trust anyone. Right. So, so well, I'm not going to say it was the best of both worlds, but you can consider it was um, a, a good, happy medium between those two lifestyles. Because if you didn't have that kind of order and chaos kind of colliding, you may not have had the person Rockefeller was today, and you may not have the innovations he brought today. Yeah, so... I think a common theme that you see that we bring up is Rockefeller was entangled in a lot of first in business and philanthropy, as in he was part of the first major holdings company, or effectively what we would call a holdings company, as well as a trust to skirt interstate commerce laws and antitrust laws. Take that for what you may. He also led one of the first companies to control the distribution network. So not only grow in the industry that you started in, but grow longitudinally into all aspects of production and distribution. He also instituted one of the first major distributions of philanthropy among a large group of people as privatized. So before this, you you didn't have any very prominent private fundraising and philanthropy type programs until you had the Rockefeller uh, Foundation. So there's a lot of first here that he was a part of. Like you mentioned, we, we were talking about how he was brought up and it gave him a very it gave him a very dynamic personality in terms of giving back to to society and people and not taking for granted what you have, as well as having the tenacity and outside-of-the-box thinking to take on new risks that no one had ever thought about doing or were too scared to do. So if you look in retrospect how companies give today, a lot of it would be just for a tax benefit. You can write that off. But in his time, in Rockefeller's time, you really didn't have that benefit so when you have someone that gives like Rockefeller gives, even if he didn't take the best route, 
he still meant the best for it. So he gave a lot of his fortune away, especially in his later life. And uh, when, what, how old was he when he retired? He was 57. So that's an early retirement. And if you consider someone that can, you know, still has all their faculties, who's honestly in the prime of his life, especially if he doesn't have the burden of work, he can devote a lot of what he what he can give and what he can do to the society at whole. And you can see that in his philanthropic endeavors. Yeah, and considering that he lived until the ripe age of almost 98, you're looking at nearly a whole other 50 years, 40, you know, more like 40 years after he retired. 40 years is, especially back then, could almost be considered an entire lifetime. You can. I mean, if you consider you don't really, uh, maybe not then, but now you really only start to live after you're 20, you may have a good 40 years left. To, to to make an impact before you have to retire and maybe, uh, you know, have a little more assistance in your life. So considering that, he really made a big impact in society and whole. I mean, he didn't take every, he didn't take the best path, I would consider. But if you think about what he tried to do in uh, in a selfless way, he did try to impact his community and... Uh, the nation as a whole for the better. Yeah, and I would say that Rockefeller was best suited for the situation that he found himself in in almost all aspects of his life from the founding of Standard Oil to the medical and educational research and innovation that came along. So have someone who was so humble and really valued intellect. So he, and, and did not care too much about flaunting his wealth or flaunting his knowledge. He was very reserved. He was reserved in conversation. So you see someone who I would arguably say had all the qualities of someone that you would want to see. He was the person who was a good leader, a good businessman in most aspects because it was not him searching for it, but more or less, he just was good at it. Kind of a um, comparison we can make is how George Washington wasn't necessarily the best person. He wasn't necessarily the best ever president, but he was the right president at the time of a new country. As in, he yielded the power that he was given after two terms as president. Right. And I think this would be a good time to wrap up the last episode of the Rockefeller series. So one takeaway you can really take is it was hard to start a business in the 1860s. It's way easier to start a business now, to especially if you have the entrepreneurial mindset. And, you know, all it would really take to make an impact like Rockefeller would do was to have a... Uh, prestigious mind I would say so I mean that's why he I thought that he'd be one of the most recognizable persons to cover on this podcast and his name if you don't even know what he did you've heard it whether you've heard it through you know Rockefeller Center Rockefeller Foundation or maybe you've heard about it in school 
you everyone's heard of who Rockefeller is. They they just I don't think have been given the complete story. And I'm not going to say that this is a complete story, but the whole purpose was to really look at what made him different, what gave him the ability to build the largest monopoly, not just in oil, but in in company history, you know, in business history, and what he did. Because some of the things he did outside of the shady business dealings and even bribes was he saw things that other people didn't see in totality. So a few takeaways I think we can all learn from is logistics is a big part of a business and not just that, but if you can control your logistics, you can control the speed and efficiency at which your product is produced and distributed, which is a big thing. Amazon, like we mentioned before, takes advantage of this. Another thing I would say is giving is a great thing and the person who earned the most gave the most and not just financially, but the product of that yielded so much good for society that arguably it'd be hard to rival that today from a single person. Also, you can see in Rockefeller's Rockefeller's life that one sentiment you can take from this is hunger is important. Greed is destructive, especially as, as far as standard oil was going into the going into its sunset as far as business is concerned because when he was less involved that's when you saw kind of the the issues that were happening but uh, i think rockefeller is a good introduction to this um this podcast and especially this um this series on early uh, american innovators i would agree i'm going to cut in right here to give a short end of life summary of Rockefeller because we mainly focused on two areas of Rockefeller's life that was his business dealings and his philanthropy his two largest well-known facts of life we didn't talk too much about his family we did talk about his parents and his childhood we did not go into extensive detail about his wife Seti or his children mainly because that's not where I wanted to focus on for this podcast this is more of a uh, learning from those who came before and not a full in-depth biography over Rockefeller we looked at in later life that Rockefeller spent a majority of his time with philanthropy he also spent this time with his wife Seti until she died in 1915 and she had a profound effect on Rockefeller in helping him succeed mainly in his religious life and raising his kids as well as his philanthropy. She really reinforced that tithing and Christian upbringing that Rockefeller had and gave him that strong foundation that he grew up with in his own mother. Rockefeller, after retiring, didn't didn't involve himself in a whole lot of other extracurricular activities, but he did take up golfing, which he found very enjoyable. He ended up having multiple golf courses installed on his different various estates. He typically enjoyed their estate 
outside of New York City until the cold weather became a little much, and then he started spending the majority of his time in Florida. In Florida, that's where he spent most, if not all, of his winter playing golf and walking around the community, and the community that he lived in actually wasn't very... They didn't really know Rockefeller like they did in the business centers of up north, and so he was able to kind of act as an ordinary citizen, which he enjoyed very much. He enjoyed being the friendly old man on the corner, and he was actually a very kind-hearted gentleman. He enjoyed kids. He kind of ended up having more of a boyish attitude towards life that you would mainly see in young men, and he had always lived a very serious and disciplined life, and he remained, he, he kept the discipline. He didn't let go of it. He maintained a very strict routine. Even when his wife said he was sick, he still maintained his routine between his various estates, and I would say some of this is probably superstition that is the reason why he continued doing that, but nonetheless, he allowed himself to enjoy life a little bit more, and I would say he was fortunate enough to live as long as he did, so he had the time to enjoy not just his wealth, but his time here on earth. He donated millions of dollars, as we have covered, in 1913, in the greatest philanthropic act in the U.S. history to that time, Rockefeller donated $100 million to establish the Rockefeller Foundation, which he had talked about, which was chartered in the state of New York. And its purpose was, quote, to promote the well-being of mankind throughout the world, end quote. I really believe that Rockefeller believed in this. You can see it in his attitude towards life. You can see his attitude towards business, even though his attitude towards business was a little bit more hard-nosed. But Rockefeller died in 1937, May 23rd, at his home in Ormont Beach, Florida, at the age of 97 years old. Lived a very full life. He was eventually buried in Cleveland with his mother and his wife. At the time of Rockefeller's death, his total charitable gifts were $540 million. So we can see that Rockefeller lived a very full life. He, as much as he has an attitude or reputation, I would, should better say, of being a hard-nosed bruiser in the business world, he, he was a very loving father, if not all that well at communicating, which if you research... Rockefeller Jr., you would notice that. But anyway, I'm going to cut back to the show now. So, on the next series of Prestigious Minds, who are we going to talk about, Rob? We have a few different people. We can... Uh, so, we can... so, I'm thinking... Let's, let's leave it a secret for now. But I'm thinking we could go along the petroleum route and talk about how that was utilized in the 1900s. Hint, hint. Or we could talk about how the steel industry revolutionized transportation, especially transportation of goods, in early America. So draw a conclusion from the end of our first series covering John D. Rockefeller. We learn some very unique prospects of business 
and insight to early American innovation where America really started stepping up to the world stage in terms of industry, medical, and educational research and innovation. This has been episode four covering John D. Rockefeller of Prestigious Minds. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds. If you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you stream. This is very much appreciated and helps us reach more people. Also, we upload new episodes at the end of each month, so make sure you keep an eye out for that. We also are on Twitter, where we will be posting our trivia question at PMindsPod, just as a reminder. And thank you for listening.